Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 110. Companies, especially multinationals, may already have been digitalizing. So they're running their own digital networks. They may have joined one digital trade network that runs different supply chains. And so the key for those companies will actually be to get them to adopt a universally accepted standard. Hello and welcome to Trade Finance Talks. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. There are an estimated 4 billion paper documents floating around the world of trade and trade finance. So removing the paper is quite high on the agenda for trade practitioners. The benefits are pretty obvious. Reducing time taken to fund transactions, saving on operational costs, reducing human error and reducing fraud. Though it can feel like progress is slow. That said, there has been positive movement on this front in recent months. The private sector continues to innovate. Multilaterals and non-government organizations are publishing new guidelines and governments around the world are adopting legislation on trade digitalization. Even with that in mind, though, the electronic bill of lading adoption remains pretty low at just under 1.2%, and just seven jurisdictions have adopted an important piece of legislation, UNCITRAL's Model Law on Electronic Transferable Records, and you can hear more about that on our previous podcasts. There are also looming difficulties for everyone in the trade finance sector. The macroeconomic trends point to a harsh 2023. The Russia-Ukraine conflict is exacerbating an already stressed supply chain, and companies are struggling to continue with their ESG initiatives. Today, we'll discuss the key themes behind trade digitization and how they will impact 2023. And I'm really happy to introduce Pamela Ma joining us from Hong Kong, Managing Director at the ICC Digital Standards Initiative. TFG are also delighted to announce its new partnership with ICC DSI's flagship conference, the Future Trade Forum, which will be taking place on the 29th to the 30th of March, 2023 in Singapore. And to find out more, go to tradefinanceglobal.com forward slash conferences. Pamela, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thanks so much, Deepesh. Such a pleasure having you on Trade Finance Talks. I think it's been a while since Cybos, in fact. Can you give us a quick overview and elevator pitch? So in no more than 30 seconds, Pamela, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Yeah, so the first thing I should say is that I'm uh, speaking from Hong Kong, but I'm actually based in Singapore, which is where the Digital Standards Initiative is based. I spent the last 12 years working for the Fung Group, which is a large consumer products supply chain manager, and I was looking at sustainability, innovation, and digitalization. And basically what I did in moving to DSI was swap one company's supply chain for all companies' supply chains in the entire global trade ecosystem. Prior to the Fun Group, I actually worked inside China for a Chinese mainland-owned um, manufacturer. And prior to that, I was in policy at the World Economic Forum responsible for China. Thank you very much. So let's jump straight forward onto the topic of trade digitization. What was the most important step for trade digitization in 2022? I struggled with this question. You know, to me, there was no really big bang event, but... 
I think what distinguished 2022 was that more than ever, digital trade was in the headlines. It was in the front lines of policy debates. It was being talked about as something which is implementable from a digital trade platform point of view. And if you just look at the leader statements coming out of the APEC event, ASEAN, the G20, they all contain really strong commitments to the digital economy and digital trade as key drivers of sustainability and inclusion economically. And I think we had really good progress on paperless trade, which is a framework agreement under the UN Economic and Social Commission on Asia Pacific, which contains 65 countries. In 2022 alone, six new countries ratified and signed on to the framework agreement. So there's palpable progress taking place in the world of digital trade. Governments are signing up to it. There's over 40 countries which have deposited instruments to the African uh, free trade area, which contains really strong provisions on digital trade. The real question that we should all be asking is, yes, regulatory environment is important. So what are we going to do after the regulation is in place and after the right policy framework is in place to really make sure that business starts implementing, that actually trade changes and how things are done on the ground actually evolves towards digital. That's my big question for 2023. Yeah, you're right. Everyone seems to now be singing from the same hymn sheet, which is actually a colossal amount of progress versus the previous five years, say. But yeah, I'm going to flip that question and ask you that. What are the next practical steps for trade digitalization for, say, banks and corporates in 2023 to make it so that when this process gets accepted by the regulators or within regulatory framework, what needs to actually happen to get rid of the paper? Okay, so the first thing is that we need to continue to push on policy. Seven countries have ratified the model law on electronic transferable records. We need the other 80 countries which are in the WTO e-commerce agreement to come on board. You know, because nothing happens or progress, great strides in progress don't happen without a clear regulatory environment. So we need to continue to push. And all the movements that we see in France and in the UK and United States and Germany and so on, those are all good. Let's not you know, let up the pressure. You know, secondly, I think we all need to focus on implementation and on building capacity, both deep into the public sector and private sector to be able to implement digital trade. From a DSI perspective, we are really super excited to be launching, likely within this month or next month, the first set of harmonized, digitalized trade standards. So this is basically taking eight key trade documents, which are the most commonly used documents along the supply chain, things like certificates of origin, warehouse receipts, customs uh, certificates, and so on. We uh, have been in an effort in the past 18 months to basically harmonize and digitalize these documents. And when I say that, basically it means moving from documentary form, which is uh, you know uploaded to uh, different systems, to moving to basically consensus data set and aligning how information is displayed, used, taxonomies, and so on, so that the data used in a single supply chain is actually plug-and-playable across multiple platforms. This is a huge stride. And you know what we will be focused on is actually making sure that what has been agreed and you know worked out by the private and public sector working together in the public interest is actually 
going to change how things work inside supply chains. So me, from a supply chain perspective, I don't know if any supply chain in the world is not you know, using at least several of these documents. So if we're looking to digitalize processes, gain speed, gain efficiency, gain traceability within supply chain, this is how you do it. But we need to make sure that it actually happens. And so we're going to launch these, this package together with a technology vision for the digital trade ecosystem. And then we're just going to double down on implementation at the same time as we start tackling the second batch of commonly used trade documents. Thank you, Pamela. And I'm going to dig in a little bit more on that. But just to summarize those three points, they push on policy, focus on implementation and building capacity and harmonizing standards and taxonomy. How do we actually ensure that banks and corporates take all of this on board and actually start to digitalize their processes? What's in it for them? And how do we drive that universal adoption? Because it's all very well having the regulatory framework and the harmonized standard. Mm -hmm. We actually need people to take that next step. So what's step four? Today, there's actually a couple barriers and we're basically removing those barriers one by one. So one is obviously regulatory. We need to clear the regulatory hurdle. The second is that companies, especially multinationals, may already have been digitalizing. So they're running their own digital networks. They may have joined one digital trade network that runs different supply chains. And so the key for those companies will actually be to get them to adopt a universally accepted standard to move away from their proprietary solutions towards a commonly accepted digital standard. And this will, you know, encounter resistance. So most likely what we'll see is a degree of interoperability and data exchange. And that's fine because what we're trying to do is ultimately by using universal standards is to basically lower the entry barrier for companies to enter digital trade. For companies which have actually not started to digitalize their trade processes, and I would say that the vast majorities of SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises, lie within this category, I think we need to really build capacity at the base. A, hardware. Yes, it's important. Give them access to financing. But B, software and human capacity building. Basically, onboard people to what the digital economy is and what digital trade is. Onboard them to using digital platforms. The desires there, based on our dialogues with SMEs and everything we know about the SME growth trajectory, is that you don't get to international without digitalization. It just doesn't happen because you need that efficiency and visibility gain in order to trade internationally. And so this is a huge barrier for SMEs from a growth perspective as well. I think the one aspect which we need to really pay attention to is finance. You know, we always say that digitalization is a way to expand financial inclusion. And it's true that digitalization of trade basically creates data sets which can be verified, trusted, and stored, and which become trading records of SMEs, which basically lower the cost to onboard SMEs to financial services. But we also need financial financing to actually make that happen, to initiate that process in the beginning, because you need new hardware, you need new software, you need capacity building. I mean, that's the role of government. It's like, how do you create the policy environment? How do you create the incentives financially and subsidies, if necessary, in order that those companies which wouldn't otherwise be able to handle this by themselves, that they can actually get on board and kickstart their own growth? Thanks, Pamela. I mean, yeah, it seems like 
the advantages of trade digitalization could go as far as actually bringing down that cost of finance if potentially and if it's the right thing to do there are potential incentives in place is there another lens that we can look at this so the 2023 economic outlook is pretty uncertain could we look at digitization as a way to help actually increase resiliency within supply chains given your background or potentially to actually help companies achieve their sustainability and esg priorities simply because they have the various facets of hardware and software embedded within their supply chains. Dupesh, I think you've hit the nail on the head because I hit the hammer on the nail because basically supply chains have come out of COVID and been under a lot of pressure, but this year's pressure is even more precisely because of what you said. And so for me, you know, if I look at supply chains, they face three giant challenges. One, how do you lower your costs? you know, when you're already operating at a zero waste kind of uh, situation. Two, how do you drive resilience and flexibility and agility and the ability to kind of move anywhere you need and respond to disruption? And three, how do you respond to all those sustainability demands? From a productivity point of view, to drive productivity and drive down costs, there's only one way to do that, and that's move up the technology value chain. And that means automation. It means digitalization. It's basically everything that China has been doing for the past several years prior to COVID is that they've been pushing their enterprises up from low value parts of the supply chain to higher value parts. And they do that by using technology, by using automation, by digitalizing manufacturing processes, and by digitalizing other parts of the supply chain. Basically, you know, if you're running a supply chain, you need to be looking to put technology into business process and using automation more. And that basically means you you focus humans on doing the thinking part of the supply chain rather than the rote and uh, very labor-intensive parts. The second part, which you mentioned, is resilience. That resilience can only come from having real-time visibility of where everything is in your supply chain at any given moment. And you can't do that realistically without digitalization, without using RFID, sensors, different kinds of technology, even DNA sequencing, to basically monitor your supply chain when you're not there. That means you're going to be managing your supply chain by remote. This is everything we learned during COVID. How do you do remote inspection? How do you be there without actually being there? And we just need to continue with that journey and push through it in order that we may have real-time visibility at any given moment and the ability to shift our supply chain wherever it may be. The third part of that is sustainability, which has really come into the fore in the past two years. By 2025, my guess is that every listed company in any major capital market is going to have to disclose scope one, two, and three with third-party verification. And from a sustainability perspective, there's no way you could feasibly do that by using, you know, electricity bills and Excel and someone running after numbers and so on. Verification is a really serious exercise that requires secured streams of data. And so you need to be streaming ESG data from your supply chain and from your own operations to a central platform so that everything is tracked, traced and validated. That's again, it's a digitalization thing. So now we see basically from an economic perspective and from a resilience perspective and from a sustainability perspective, all the alignment points to you need to digitalize. 
that's great to have that alignment of purpose. Now we have to look at, okay, how do we get the resources? How do we build capacity? How do we enable that process from an ecosystem perspective using all of our levers, finance, policy, education, engagement, and so on? For me, it's really clear what we need to do. You know, we have to be like courageous and ambitious to really push through it and not just do the easy stuff, which is taking place already, but to really go deep into the emerging markets where so much of the need is, because this is ultimately the inclusion agenda. If we're really serious about the SDGs and closing the global wealth gap and enabling growth of SMEs, we have to close that, do um, work hard on financial inclusion, and we need to close the trade finance gap, as well as the gap that we don't even see from applications for uh, financing that never even make it to application stage because the SMEs know that they won't be financed. So for me, it's like, yeah, there's a big gap to be addressed, but it's also a huge opportunity for the emerging markets as well as the developed markets. Thank you, Pamela. I think you spelled it out very nicely there in terms of ticking those really important boxes around resilience, sustainability, and those economic benefits. A very random question, but could legal entity identifiers or LEIs, what role do they have to play in this wider piece around supply chains, but also company visibility and also verification? LEIs are perhaps not receiving the visibility that they deserve. Basically, if you're talking about digitalizing supply chain and having data sets actually enable transactions, you for sure want to know where that data is coming from. You need to know the owner of the data. And the LEI is the single best tool that is interoperable across countries and which can be secured as a business identity. I know that different countries all have their way to track business registration. Except that, you know, from a supply chain perspective, a single T-shirt may cross six borders on the course of it being made, probably more if it's made of a blend of material. So from a supply chain perspective, you do not want to be dealing with six or seven or eight different types of business identity because the complexity is just too much. And so LEI is super simple. It's an anchor to all the data associated with a given company. And it will greatly reduce the cost of onboarding, not only from a financial perspective, but also from a supply chain perspective. If I want to go online and find a manufacturer of X or Y widgets, I really do want to know that they are who they say they are and that their information and that their credentials are verifiable. The LEI is the one thing which can link all of an SME's data together. LEIs are super important. I think governments should be supporting their SMEs to acquire LEIs, just like China's government is. I think banks should be giving out, you know, LEIs to their potential SME customers, just like they give consumers credit cards. There's a fee to a credit card, but yet they give it to consumers in anticipation of the potential business. For me, the same argument should exist for LEIs to um, small and medium-sized enterprises, because this is a kind of like a node without which you don't grow. Absolutely. And thank you for giving a bit of an overview of how LEIs could help in that bigger picture. I'd like to conclude with a question around the ICC DSI. How can the ICC DSI help companies, so both corporates, banks and financial institutions alike, with this transition towards a more digital landscape, given that that should really be the priority, which is how can we move up the tech value chain? 
So DSI, not to toot our own horn, is basically unique because we're not just advocating and speaking. We are actually creating and we're enabling the process of harmonization and digitalization, relying on both the private sector and public sector working in the public interest. These data sets, these consensus data sets and the digitalized versions of different trading documents created in a neutral platform that is inclusive to the private and public sector, these will be the nuts and bolts of the future trade ecosystem. We need neutral bodies because too many times in industry, there is alignment and there's collective agreement that companies need to harmonize and standardize, but too often it turns into just push and pull of vested interests, right? Everyone defending their own territory. So I think there is, especially, you know, in today's world where business and the public sector, they're so deeply intertwined across supply chains. For good reason, but we need to enable that whole apparatus to operate with today's technology. The technology is there. It's not like any technology problem, but it's like, how do you convince companies to move beyond their own viewfinder and actually create something bigger and better on the global stage? And that's what DSI was created to put forward. I think the second thing that we can do, aside from actually developing and harmonizing digital trade standards, is actually to popularize certain notions like interoperability, like inclusion, you know, because these principles are important. And multilateral bodies have been behind them. But I think we also need organizations which are deeply working with the private sector to really commit to a vision of a more transparent, more inclusive, more fair trading environment, because that's the only one where everyone will benefit. You know, I'm looking forward to 2023. I'm looking forward to the launch of our digital trade standards. But most of all, I'm looking forward to actually seeing how trade changes globally. We're really looking forward to the Future Trade Forum. Can you give us a quick overview of what people can expect if they attend the Future Trade Forum on the 29th and 30th of March? Yeah, so keeping um, with the theme of inclusion and dialogue across the public and private sector with on topics that actually make a difference to how people trade, the Future Trade Forum is basically an outlook. It's an assessment, it's taking stock, but it's also looking ahead to basically figure out what are our agendas? What is our collective agenda to drive forward digital trade in 2023 and beyond? And so we are going to be doing a lot of taking stock, but we're also going to be talking about the challenges, how we work together to address those. And, you know, we are going to be launching our own trade standards at that forum, as well as a vision for interoperability and technology for the future digital trade ecosystem. The Trade Modernization Index, which is a new product that we're coming out with this year, which basically measures how ready jurisdictions are to benefit from digital trade. That's an index that we're putting together with the Asia Global Institute and the Milken Institute. We're going to be launching that. And we basically offered our platform to a number of like-minded organizations like the Global Shipping Business Network, as well as the World Trade Board to basically launch their own frameworks and their own projects at our forum. Because, you know, for us, it's all about inclusion. If you're like-minded, we want to support you. This is in person. It's going to be in Singapore. You know, I would love to see all of your readers and supporters there, as well as you, of course, Dupesh. Absolutely. Look, you heard it here first. Thank you for sharing that information, Pamela. As always, such a pleasure having you on Trade Finance Talks. Thanks for joining. See you soon. 
Thanks, Dupesh. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.